0: Whiskey for the Ages is not sponsored or endorsed for any product or program mentioned in this show and receive no remuneration from their creators.
1: Welcome to all of our Whiskey for the Ages podcast subscribers. I'm your host Brian Dawson, and tonight Hannah's here.
0: And a big thanks to those of you tuning in for the first time. Happy to have you.
1: And Dolores there.
2: Hi guys. I hope that you've enjoyed the show so far, and if you haven't already done so, consider subscribing as well.
1: Tonight we're going to return to a topic we introduced in our last series, Whiskey Proof.
0: We had a lot of fun with that series, our spotlight series. Uh, We did proof and we did distilleries, which we'll be doing later in the season. Tonight, we're going to be focusing on 100 proof whiskey offerings and their origins.
2: Well, that's really, really cool. We've actually got a select few.
1: What are we drinking tonight? Well, we're going to start out with some Rittenhouse rye.
0: So not a bourbon. We're going with a rye.
1: We like rye in our family. I think Hannah likes it a little more than the rest of us, but that's okay.
0: Yeah, but true. And I'm glad that's that not that true. We, it, no, I do like rye more than everybody else in the family. I am the yeah, rye that's queen. True, but I I also really like rye. Yeah, but I'm the rye queen. It's undisputed. That's that. So I'm it's glad that it, It's a
1: fight. It's a
0: fight. So I am glad that we're going to be doing a little moment for Written House Bottled in bond. This is one of those whiskies that I consider to be one of the best value whiskeys that you can get, uh, the best rye or best value rye that you can get on the market. Sits 25, 35 bucks-ish, and you really just get a solid offering here. But we're gonna talk about all of that. So
1: So here's the stats. It's a bottled in bond, as Hannah said, and we're gonna talk about bottled and bond and what that means. It is a straight rye whiskey. It's made by Heaven Hill, it has a mash bill of 35% corn, 51% rye, and 14% malt barley. So it's just barely a rye. Barrel Char is in number three. They didn't tell us what the barrel entry proof is. It is four years old, it is 100 proof, so it fits our profile for our show tonight. Here in Idaho we paid $27.95. It has a shelf price around the country. You shouldn't be paying anything more than 20 to 27 bucks or thereabouts. Although Booz app does say a fair price for it is $36. So let's uh, sip and nose on this as we dive into this 100 proof story. And we'll come back and we'll kind of discuss it. So in the mid 19th century, we saw a lot of interesting events evolving around whiskey. And it all started to culminate around the Civil War. Remember what year that started? 1861. The federal government needed money to fund the war effort. So in 1862, the Distilled Spirits Internal Revenue Act went into play. So at that point, there was some flat tax on liquor that was left over from uh, the Whiskey Wars back in the late 1790s. Under the act, higher proof whiskies were taxed at a higher rate, yet the return to the distiller was much greater, because if they would distill a lot of high proof, they didn't take as much room to store it. Then once it was released to the public, they could cut it down with water. So in the 1870s, the emergence of the proof wars began. Alcohol proof levels caused a great deal of dispute because the accuracy and the legitimacy of the whiskey in the container could really not be assured what proof it was. The industry had no standards and distillers and rectifiers had their own ways of measuring proof. One was the gunpowder test. It was simple and widely used. Whiskey was poured on some gunpowder. And if the gunpowder ignited, it was considered at-proof.
2: Science. (laughs) Well,
1: that's good you said that, because the next step was with hydrometers. Hydrometers measured the density of the spirit. By comparing the specific gravity before and after distillation, alcohol content could be estimated. And then, as I mentioned earlier, customary standards, every distiller had their own way of deciding how to measure proof. The goal was though to get the highest proof possible. It improved cost efficiency. Producing higher proof spirits was more cost efficient for distillers. It required less time and effort to create a specific volume of alcohol.
0: Right, because you wouldn't need to water it down. You could just move it straight from barrel to
1: bottle. Barrel to bottle, exactly. And it also reduced the need for additional fermentation, distillation and storage. This way they could maximize their profits. Some consumers believed if it was high proof that was better whiskey. Some producers chose to distill their whiskey multiple times. It wasn't used that widely because, of course, it would be more costly to run it through the stills a second or third time. Other distillers and rectifiers experimented with questionable production methods. And this is really where it began. Neutral grain spirits were added to increase the alcohol content. It did result in higher proof spirits, but at a less flavorful profile.
0: So what kind of neutral grain spirit like are we talking it, about?
1: Rubbing alcohol.
0: Well, the more you know.
1: Of course, I wouldn't want to be drinking rubbing alcohol.
0: Not particularly.
1: Antiseptic.
0: Oh, that was
2: common back then. Yeah. yeah.
1: Some distillers even put formaldehyde. In oh,
2: God. Beers. I hate that <laughs> smell. I have nightmares because of that stupid smell. It's I'm it. not I'm not a science major, so <laughs> I think I've had to experience. I have and I hated it. <laughs> That's awful. So I'm it, so sorry to that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> in addition to increasing the proof, much of the whiskey sold as straight whiskey was anything but. Sometimes the distillate was white lightning or pure alcohol, and in order to make it look old, they would put iodine in it or shoe polish, or tobacco, or turpentine, or tobacco spit.
0: Right, definitely not a straight whiskey, because the straight whiskey is just... Whiskey. Whiskey. It's it's just your grain, it's just your yeast, it's just your water.
1: (laughs) Many creations were masquerading as whiskey, really they were misleading consumers. The concoctions were posing health risks. And there really was no way to verify that there was quality here.
0: What? Tobacco spit isn't healthy?
1: Well, I guess if it's been sitting in alcohol with (laughs) formaldehyde, it probably didn't matter. Oh,
0: Oh, (laughs)
2: Cringe.
1: So, what do you think about this Rittenhouse?
2: I get a lot of butter in it. Butter? Yeah. Yeah, like butter that goes on bread. That kind of flavor. I mean, Butter's right, not really the flavor I usually get.
0: So there's a bit of uh, freshness here that comes with your classic rye. It's not the freshest rye I've ever had. Um, the, the herbal quality I think that you get in a lot of rye doesn't take center stage in this one like it does in others. At the same time, There is a fruity element to this rye that you won't necessarily find heavily pronounced in other rye, so there's a balance there. I get kind of almost a wine element coming in at the back. The tannin Mm. is there. There's a bit of old, old grape there. It's just really nice. It starts off with that fresh hit, comes in with a rich, nearly winey Sensation.
1: That tannin from the barrels, for sure.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting that... that, I get
1: that. I'm getting that that heaven hill funk. Mm. That herbalness. I'm not picking up so much of the fruit myself. But it's more spice laden, if you will. You know, the, the, the classic cinnamon and rye and maybe a little bit of nutmeg there. Yeah. Not really... Not a lot of sweets. No,
0: I mean the the this isn't gonna be the most complex rye that you've ever had, at the price point that it is. We'll just say thirty bucks. Keep it nice and even. At thirty bucks, you're you're paying for what you get, really, and you get more complexity than I think I would immediately assume out of a thirty dollar rye. I think there's stuff here that's offered that isn't another rise. I do wish it was a little bit more complex, but again, I'm I'm paying 30 bucks, and I'll pay 30 bucks all day on this one.
1: So the next one we're going to do is a Colonel Taylor, Colonel E.H. Taylor Small Batch.
0: We cannot have a discussion about Bottled and Bond without talking about Colonel E.H. Taylor.
1: So Colonel E.H. Taylor, this is a small batch, It's uh, made in Frankfort, Kentucky at Buffalo Trace Distillery. Buffalo Trace is really famous for not uh, publishing their mash bills. However, this is believed to be a low rye mash with about 75% corn, around 10% rye, 15% barley. It goes into the barrel at about 125 proof. Its age is unstated, however, if you go to the website, E.H. Taylor Small Batch is believed to be about seven years old or thereabouts. Sources also say that E.H. Taylor products are aged exclusively in Buffalo Trace's Warehouse C. Interestingly, Warehouse C was built by E.H. Taylor himself Back in 1881, it's an all-brick building, being hundred-proof. Fair price. This one always tr- troubles me a little bit. Fair price is 98 bucks.
0: That's by BooZap, no. though.
1: Yep, that's by BooZap. Okay. Shelf price around the country on this is said to be approaching 200 dollars.
2: Absolutely <sighs> no absolutely
1: not here in idaho But i'm saying
2: that because i'm a college student
1: so here in idaho we paid 49.95 for this one
0: which is msrp
1: i feel for you out there in the rest of the country having to struggle to find it first of all right and then once you find it having to pay double the price or quadruple (laughs) the price just to get uh just to get some EH Taylor.
0: And make no mistake, over here in Idaho, even though we may be paying 50 bucks for it, it is still not a product on the shelf that we can easily go up and grab. I remember in college going up to the shelf and grabbing Taylor Small Batch and plopping it on the counter to buy. I always had a bottle of Taylor Small Batch. Nowadays, it's that's not how the world works anymore, but...
1: One has to search, one has to look, one has to be in the store at the right time. Yep,
0: there's a lot of luck with with a tailor. (laughs) Here in
1: Idaho, I can't really put my finger on it, but roughly every six to eight weeks, near the beginning of the month, the EH, Taylor, and quite frankly, all Buffalo Trace products tend to start filtering into the stores.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Anyway, back to our story. In 1875, there was an introduction of the bottled and bond standards. Edmund Haynes Taylor Jr., E.H. Taylor Jr., introduces the concept of bottled and bond whiskey. And I'll get into that a little bit more, what is bottled and bond, what it it takes to be bottled and bond, and so on. But he introduced it as a way to assure quality and authenticity. The reason why he did that is he was losing sales to the rectifiers, to the distillers who were using questionable methods.
0: So we've used that word a few times now. Remind everybody what a rectifier
1: is. A A rectifier would be somebody who buys whiskey by the barrel. They didn't make it themselves. And then they are putting additives into the whiskey to give it a profile that they want. Gotcha. They're a blender. They actually may be blending two different whiskeys together to come up with something. But more often than not, rectifiers were putting stuff in the in the whiskey.
2: Mm.
1: And at the same,
2: so are flavored whiskeys rectifiers then.
1: Flavored whiskeys could be rectified whiskeys. They would never be classified as anything but flavored in today's standards.
0: Right. Back then, though, there was the the whole point of Taylor and his bottled and bond idea was to combat the rectifiers who were trying to sell their product as bona fide, genuine, straight whiskey, right? Exactly. That's what's going on? Exactly. In
1: 1886... The alteration concerns started coming to a head, mostly because there was a lot of low-quality whiskey. And if those of you who aren't history buffs, back in the late 1880s, the country was going into a small depression, and actually lasted through the early 1890s. So whiskey was a way to escape. In 1887, Colonel E. H. Taylor comes back to Congress and he testifies a second time. He again promotes consumer protection with industry regulation. So he's asking for the government to step in and regulate what's happening in whiskey. He proposes the Bottle and Bond Whiskey Act again and in 1887 Congress begins to look at the proposal with interest. Now, a lot of other things were happening at that time in 1888. The Sherman Antitrust Act happened. The act laid the groundwork for the regulation of monopolies and unfair business practices.
2: Blocking them, right? This is yeah. them. So in the time of what we call the forgotten presidents, because all of them would be corrupt and would basically submit to people like Rockefeller, Carnegie, all those people that you hear are crazy rich, and then some of them go bankrupt like Rockefeller. So uh, I think U.S.S. Grant was among the first of those presidents, and then it just all went downhill.
1: Exactly. There was a lot of corruption in that time frame. In 1890... The McCracken Amendment came out. Congressman William Alden Smith introduced this amendment. The amendment was attached to the Bottle and Bond Act. Now keep in mind, the Bottle and Bond Act is not law yet, but he sought to make changes to that act. Specifically, he wanted it to say, whiskey to be sold without alteration. We wanted it to have everybody use the same measuring standards. We wanted truth in labeling, wanted aging levels, we wanted everything written on labels. Ultimately, the McCracken Amendment was not included in the final draft. However, nearly everything that the act requested made it into the Bottle and Bond Act. In 1892, a distillers convention was held. The National Distillers Convention passed resolutions in favor of quality standards in whiskey production. So those people who were making legitimate whiskies were trying to hold out and make their product as true and fair as possible. These distillers began lobbying hard against the dangerous practices to increase proof and stop the additives. In 1897, the Bottle and Bond Act went into effect. The advocates, of course, were Colonel Edmund Taylor, and he had gained power by getting the Secretary of the Treasury, John Carlisle, involved. Part of the act was deferring of taxes. So if whiskey were to go into Bottle and Bond, and again, I'll talk about that in a minute, the federal government could be guaranteed a certain amount of taxes that they would get from these, this whiskey. The act regulated the whiskey industry to protect consumers. It stopped the rectifiers. It promoted the purity of distillers products, It defined quality and standards, and it outlined the labeling that goes on the bottle. Now there certainly was some opposition. You could imagine all these guys that went out and bought all these barrels for the sole purpose of rectifying them. them. Yeah. Flipping them. Yeah. yeah, the original flippers. Yeah. Well, they were concerned that now there's going to be monopolies from the big distillers and they can't do it anymore. The ringleader was Isaac Wolf Bernheim. Bernheim was the founder of I.W. Harper and Bernheim Original Wheat Whiskey. Bernheim stated the art of blending spirits was at risk. It caused issues for rectifiers producing an honest product from the barrels of whiskey they had bought. He thought the act gave distillers an unfair advantage. Distillers would monopolize the whiskey market. Opposition was motivated by potential impact to their business. The act required strict adherence to quality and labeling standards.
0: So basically anybody who couldn't keep up with the new rule... Complain that they couldn't keep up. I mean, everybody wants to know that what they're consuming is what the label says they're consuming and nothing else. So this was a really big step, and I can imagine that there'd be plenty who would fight against something like that. But as a whole, certainly have got to take it and be grateful that it happened.
2: Got a quick question. You mentioned EH Taylor products generally don't have a mash bill statement. They
0: Buffalo Trace products as a whole. Um, there'll be recipe numbers that that people will ascribe to Buffalo Trace products. So this could be anything within the EH Taylor line, within the Buffalo Trace line itself, within blends, within Stags. Within there, there's a variety of Buffalo Trace products that. People will go, okay, we're pretty sure that based off of what we're tasting, this is the level of corn, this is the level of rye, et cetera, et cetera. Compile those, put them into a recipe number and go, this is what we think, what we're estimating this bottle, this offering to be.
1: And Buffalo Trace themselves will say, this is our low rye mash.
0: Yeah. Yep. Or this is
1: our high rye mash bill.
0: Yeah, they've kind of put it out there that yeah, we have specific recipes that that we're using here. So it's not an unfounded thing for sippers to go. This is probably what
2: what's going on here. Gotcha. I was just wondering because they were saying up you have to put these things on the label. I'm like, what about the mash bill if you're not doing that? But since you say that it's a recipe, that makes sense. Because, yes. I mean, it, it'd be like Coca-Cola was going to allow the only two people in the world who know the recipe of Coca-Cola to suddenly share it with the public. I mean, it's like, mm. it's the recipe. You don't share recipes unless you yeah. want to. And
0: it's a, and it's a grain... <laughs> proportion recipe so it's not like it's any of these other additives that the rectifiers are putting in these are the basic foundation products of any whiskey and it's just what proportion each grain is in the whiskey so it's not defying what makes a straight whiskey a straight whiskey it's just the guarded secret
1: exactly So what are we thinking about this? Laura, do you like this one better than the rye, or?
2: It was more pungent than the rye. I know that's a really negative word, pungent. The thing is, the rye can barely smell anything except, like, bread and seeds, actually. I got a lot of seeds. But this one, it's like, boom, i am sweet i am fruity i am in your face and it kind of overwhelmed me but i i got used to it there's a lot of caramel in it and i i like it but i wouldn't say i love it yeah this definitely one... not worth for me 90 or even 200 dollars. it's not worth it for me yeah.
0: mentioning the fruit this one i would call that the buffalo trace funk You'll hear about that in a a few episodes. Relatively soon, I'm going to be going into a whole expose on Buffalo Trace products. We'll probably bring this guy back um, because it is just one of those ones that everybody seems to love. Buffalo Trace products to me always have a high amount of fruit particularly red fruit, particularly cherries. So this just screams classic Buffalo Trace to me. Yeah. The 100 proof, the the high corn content, if we're going by the low rye recipe assumption here, it's definitely very mellowed out. There's not a lot of bite here, despite being 100 proof. It's approachable. It's warm. It, it's, it's really nice.
1: I like this better than the rye, but you then, would. But that's me. Rye's fine. Bourbon for me ticks my boxes more frequently. But you're right, Hannah. There is cherry here. I I get dark cherry. Yeah. You're right, Laura I get caramel here. It's a caramel bomb. The wood is not quite so pronounced. It's there, but it's it's just kind of there to to support the other things that's going on.
2: Mm-hmm. It's a really great example of the contrast between what ryes tend to be and what bourbons tend to be. But if I wanted something just simple whiskey, I mean, ryes, I'd go for it. Because sometimes you don't need an occasion to grab the extra sweet. Sometimes you just want something simple. And I think it depends on the mood I, for me, uh, depending on like whether which one I like more. Honestly, tonight I'd probably say the rye more because just simple. Looking for simple things at this point.
1: <laughs> so, next up on our docket is the Old Forester, and get this Old Forester 1897. 1897 to commemorate the Bottled and Bond Act. Old Forester 1897 is part of the Whiskey Row series.
0: Yep, they've got an 1870 and 1897. Those two, for whatever reason, don't seem to be picked up as much as the latter two, the 1910 and the 1920. You hear us talk about those two a lot. Those two are among our absolute favorites, but alas, they are neither 100 proofers. Doesn't mean that the 1897 and the 1870 aren't also really, really great bourbons and really, really great offerings from the Brown Foreman. Old Forester line.
1: So it is, too, a bottled in bond. It's from Kentucky. Brown Foreman is your company. The distillery is Old Forester. Mash Bill is said to be 72% corn, 18% rye, 10% malt barley, with a barrel char of number four. That is a heavy char in this one. Yeah, it is. Again, 100 proof, as all of these. Here in Idaho, I paid $55.
0: So not too far off from an E.H. Taylor. Right. It sits right at, right at about the same price.
1: Fair price, according to Booz App, is $63. And a shelf price of about $58. One thing that's nice about Old Forester, it's always on the shelf. You could almost always find it anywhere
0: except if you're in idaho where that 1870 and that 1897 are going to be going on closeout. so if those are among your favorites you should be picking some up we certainly have been
1: i know you're glaring at us can
0: i get a bottle <laughs> no, I'm you,
2: kidding. your <laughs> stores
0: your stores will have them it, this it, is an it. idaho problem
1: yes Not quite sure what Idaho's doing, but Idaho's doing.
0: We did look it up uh, before we started the show tonight to make sure that this wasn't a discontinuation situation. And luckily it does not seem to be. This is just an Idaho goof. I'm going to call it plainly what it is, an Idaho goof.
1: We'll have to talk to the powers that be. So what does it mean to be bottled and bond? I've been hinting about this all along, but bottled and bond is a legal term specific to the united states bottled and bond refers to spirits aged and bottled according to the bottled and bond act of 1897.
0: hence the name
1: the act ensures quality and consistency in whiskey the act led to the booming growth up to prohibition so to be considered bottled and bond The whiskey must be, here are the specifics, produced by one distillery in one distilling season. Now a distilling season happens between January to June or from July to December. You cannot have any distillate from July to December showing up in a bottle that's coming from January to June.
0: And it actually says on this 1897 bottle that I'm holding right now this whiskey is distilled by us only so that's a really big part of it it's got to be just the one distiller
1: it must go into the barrel at a strength of no more than 80 EABV or 160 proof
0: seems reasonable
1: yeah (laughs) it's
0: a high proof
1: it has to be aged for at least four years in a federally bonded warehouse under U.S. government supervision.
0: So that's what that means. The federally bonded warehouse just means the U.S. government is supervising this thing.
1: Exactly. Okay. So that warehouse may be- be Economical terms, okay. Yeah. So that warehouse may be on Buffalo Trace's grounds or Old Forester's grounds or anybody's grounds, but it has to be controlled by a federal agent.
0: Nobody's coming in putting anything extra in or doing anything funky and we're just really putting that stamp of this is only this
1: yes during aging the spirit is monitored to verify that yes it is from the correct distilling season the standards of proof and the standards of age are all being met and at the same time The distiller is not paying taxes on this. All of the taxes are deferred. It's bottled at 50% alcohol or 100 proof. There are no additives that can go in other than pure water because if it goes into the barrel at 160 proof or less, somehow you've got to get it down to 100 proof to go into the bottle. And then on the label, it has to show the distillery's DSP number or uh, the distilled spirit's plant number. And it's a unique identifier for the distillery. So So that
2: ties into the act then. Yes. Saying saying that you have to disclose certain information on the label. And it kind of sets in stone, nope, no
1: rectifiers. Exactly.
2: So
0: what does that mean, though, for what we'll, we'll keep with Old Forrester here is the theme. What does that mean, though, for our others in the Whiskey Row series who aren't bottled and bond? Does that potentially mess with the authenticity of what those
1: are? It doesn't mess with it. It's just a standard that's met. This act, the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897, began the purification of not only whiskey but other things the food and drug and everything else that we have after this
0: so essentially bottled and bond was created for whiskey at first the 100 proof whiskey at first and it set a standard for all of the other whiskey going forward so absolutely so now the 100 bottled and bonds that we see on the shelf are almost kind of like historical gems from that time. doesn't reflect negatively on everybody else on the shelf, just as a memorabilia piece. Exactly. Gotcha.
2: I was just about to say, this sounds so similar to FDA. Yeah. It sounds so similar, because... Teddy Roosevelt actually did this exact same thing, but with meat. He saw that meat was being contaminated in the factories, and he's like, hell no, we're going to put a stop to that, and he came up with the Meat Inspection Act. So,
1: And we're going to talk history. about that.
2: <laughs> yeah! <laughs> we're going <we're>
1: to talk <laughs> See? You know. You know things.
2: You know things.
1: And you drink bourbon.
2: <laughs> okay. I love history. I really, really love history. I hope to apply what i do for a living into history in some way so we're
0: all kind of history buffs (laughs) in this family in our own ways
1: so the benefits of and bond it guarantees consistency a lot of this you guys have already brought up Mm -hmm. the four-year aging eliminates any doubt that this is pure whiskey who's going to do something with their whiskey after it's been sequestered for four years it set a precedent for tax law. It gives the distillers an incentive to uh, actually put the whiskey away for four years because of the tax benefit. The federal supervision of the warehouses ensures proper accounting. In other words, the government knows they're going to get their money. And then it ensures compliance. Treasury agents are assigned to control access. to the... <laughs> yeah, A little sidebar to that. Laura, allora, you like uh, Larceny. The Larceny. Yes. The story goes, the reason the name Larceny is there was a guy by the name of Fitzgerald who was a treasury agent. And he would be going into the Baldwin Bond warehouses and he would be sampling barrels. <laughs> oh, that's so...
0: I mean, I you've, got, go. you've got the solid gold you got to count and then you've got the liquid gold you've got to taste.
1: So, it is allegedly, he was pilfering whiskey from Bottled and Bond warehouses because of his job. And decided, you know what, I can do this. (laughs) So, love the stories. Love the stories.
0: Whiskey's got a lot of them.
1: Bald and Bond whiskeys tend to be more affordable than other premium age spirits. Now, that's not necessarily true across the board, but if you go into a store and you start looking at bottled and Bond bottles, they're almost always down near your knees or lower.
0: That's I never thought about that, but that actually is true. From
2: And you worked in the liquor yeah. you store, so you stored these. Yeah, things?
0: yeah, I stocked, the, I, I stocked <laughs> these shelves. I mean, the, the, there's, there's the early times. Uh, there, there's the written house. The things are connecting in my head.
1: Evan Williams, Evan bottled Williams, and bond.
0: bottled and bond. <laughs> like that's pretty crazy. Even the Old Forester Orange label, which is also 100 proof. Not a bottled and not bond. A, not a bottled and bond, but 100 proof. It sits right there. That is interesting.
1: So the Bottled and Bond Act was signed into law on March 3rd, 1897 by President Grover Cleveland on his good. last full day in office.
2: Which one? He ran two different terms. This
1: True. <laughs> this was his second term, and he signed it into law on the last day. This was the last law that he signed.
0: Well, some presidents should only be so lucky to have <laughs> that be their final charge in office.
1: The act has important historical significance within the United States. The Baldwin Bond Act was passed when concerns about counterfeit spirits were being made and sold. The act ensures whiskey was guaranteed to meet government standards. And as Alora mentioned, it's worth noting the Baldwin Bond Act predates the Food and Drug Administration, 1897 versus 1906.
0: I think you mentioned earlier that Taylor approached Congress with this in the 1860s 1875 1875 so it took over 20 years to actually go you know what yeah we're we're gonna go through with this and we're gonna do this
1: and the reasoning for that was as laura mentioned we had a depression going on and this was during the time that the no-name presidents there was a lot of corruption going on
0: yeah Yeah.
1: If you weren't greasing the right palms, you weren't going to get what you needed.
2: All those people. I mean, when you have a booming country industry, like steam engine trains that can suddenly take you across the U.S., or you can have like different kinds of factories all of a sudden producing like a mass amount of production for importation and exportation. Why would you want to change that if you're in a good standing position? However, if you're a local business trying to make, I don't know, an instrument. Let's just go into my world for a second with music. You have a company that makes a vast amount of instruments. Okay, well, that's great. But what about the local businesses? They kind of struggle because there's that kind of, control. Why would you want to go for something that's more expensive? Where you could go to a mass produced company and purchase something less expensive. It, it it happened all the time back then.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So what do we think about this one? Old Forester 1897.
2: I love it. And the reason why is because I'm gonna make a statement here and say that it tastes it smells like fall, and it tastes like winter. I say that because I get a lot of warm spices, like cinnamon, pumpkin spice, tis the season, a lot of nutmeg, and a lot of cloves in the smell. However, when I took a sip of it, I all of a sudden got pine trees. And just the kind of flavors that you'd expect around Christmas time, not like, you know, sugar cookies or anything like that. But just the flavors of winter.
1: This one's much deeper than the others.
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's so much. There's so much. And I love it. I love bourbons that offer so much more of vast palate than just sticking with one side of a palate.
0: Yeah, the complexity is definitely here. I think out of the three that we've had so far we still got one left uh, but out of the three so far this one certainly has the most bite which is interesting because they're all 100 proof but you can tell there's more of a rye influence on this one and the age the depth of it is really really pronounced i think that i don't know if i get so much of a piney element But there's a lot of nuttiness here, there's a lot of richness here, there's a lot, I get a lot of the spices that you were talking about, the cinnamon, the nutmeg, the cloves, all of that, yes. So you do get a very wide variety across your palate. I get a lot of the barrel in this one. The oak is really pronounced here. It's real earthy. Yeah, so it's, there's a lot going on here as far as complexity goes.
1: For me, as much as I would hate to to admit this out loud, today, at this moment, this is my favorite of the three so far. And I wouldn't have thought that, because I really like that E.H. Taylor. And if I were to go look at my ratings on our website... I'm sure I did not rate this one as high as the E.H. Taylor.
0: See, I'd probably still say the Taylor would be my favorite out of the three. You like the fruit. But I love the fruit. I am all about the Buffalo Trace funk. I love cherries. I love fruit. I love, you know, the syrupy goodness that is a lot of Buffalo Trace products. But this one really offers something that's grounded. That just feels old without tasting like an old shoe. It's called 1897 for the historical value. I feel like you can kind of taste the history of this one. Without trying to sound cliche, okay? I'm not trying to be all buttery poetic. This is just how I talk, everybody.
2: But that's what whiskey is. It's history. It's. Meant to be shared across the generations. Mm-hmm.
1: For me, this is like a welcome home. Someone hands me this as I walk through the front door after I've been gone all day. It's cold outside. Yeah, like it's a said. cold
0: day. It is a cold day.
1: Yep. This this is the kind of thing that the wind's blowing. It, yep. Maybe there's a little rain spitting in the air. Yep. So our last bourbon that yeah, we're gonna drink. Yeah, we have drink, to move
0: on to another one not, now.
1: Our last bourbon is a Knob Creek 12-year small-batch bourbon.
0: I just want to like make the little point here that for the people who may have caught it, we've got four different distilleries doing four different 100-proofer takes. The house is a Heaven Hill. That E.H. Taylor is the Buffalo Trace. Brown Foreman. Uh, makes that old Forester and now we have a Jim Beam product. Exactly. Hello, we've got the whole set practically.
1: Now this one is not a bottled in bond. It is bottled at 100 proof. It just hasn't been in that warehouse under lock and key for tax purposes and what have you. But it's still 100 proof. This one, I will tell everybody, it is a little special. I doubt seriously you're going to walk into a store and see it on the shelf. It's 12 years old, so it's have some age in the barrel. Unfortunately, while its price or MSRP is about $70, most people, if you find it at all, it's going to be much, much higher than that. Jim Beam has said that they're going to have this as an annual release, so it should be out there in better quantity as we go forward. It is made in Claremont, Kentucky, Knob Creek Distillery. 75% corn, 13% rye, and 12% malted barley. Barrel char of number four, again, a pretty good char. Barrel entry at 125, 12 years old, 100 proof. And Boozap is saying fair price on it is 90 bucks, Or shelf price about 104 I paid $69.95 for this one.
0: So out of the four, this one does have the highest MSRP. Not necessarily shelf price because that tailor is a big whoa to anybody. But out of the four MSRP, based off of what the distilleries think they should be charging for the product, Jim Beam's pretty proud of this guy.
1: Yes. And, well, they should be. It's 12 years old. So let's tie up some loose ends here. Early 20th century, implementation and enforcement starts to take place. Bottle and Bond Act is now uh, on the books. It is law, and it has led to a significant improvement in the quality and authenticity of whiskey. In 1902, the Food and Drug Act was proposed. Its chief advocate was a chemist by the name of Harvey Washington Wiley. He worked for the Department of Agriculture, Wiley conducted studies on food alteration, and he pushed hard for federal legislation to ensure the safety of food and drugs. Opposition was there as well. Some food and drug manufacturers felt that uh, this was going to rick into their profits, and they'd already seen what happened in the whiskey industry. And in fact, there were people in the whiskey industry that were against this as well. However, there was a gentleman by the name of Upton Sinclair, and Laura, you touched on this. He wrote a book called The Jungle, and the jungle exposed unsanitary conditions in the meatpacking industry.
0: I feel like I might have read that in high school or somewhere. I, I, this is all feeling very familiar to me, but that was a long time ago.
2: Pretty for me, too because I don't really remember any of high school, to be
1: quite honest. But again,
2: this kind of falls with the Meat Inspection Act.
1: Yeah, exactly. The biggest advocate for the Pure Food and Drug Act of 1906, Laura, you touched on it, President Theodore Roosevelt. Most of the opposition was coming from the meatpacking industry and then also some uh, food and drug manufacturers. Basically, they were saying, hey, it's going to cut into our profits. But people had read this book, and it was in news articles, and frankly, people were just tired of wondering how healthful their food was that was being manufactured. By this time, people were moving from farms into cities. They were no longer growing their own crops, so they had to rely on manufactured food. The industry lobbyists and the trade associations representing food and drug companies also stood up, but by this time we'd already had the Bolton Bond Act. Teddy Roosevelt is advocating for the pure food and drug. It passed on June 30th, 1906. So, Knob Creek 12, what are you thinking?
0: I was watching Laura a little bit while you were going through all of that, and as soon as she took her first sip, she sat back in her chair and looked up. Not at the ceiling, but looked up like I was not prepared. What was going
2: on in your head? Do you feel exposed? A little bit. But I, I knew that you were doing it, so I feel 50% less exposed. Um, I was deep in thought because I got a bunch of butter. I was all of a sudden reminded of the Rittenhouse rye. It's a cool way to end the the four bourbons that we have because you did something that a lot of composers try to do when organizing symphonies they try to tie back between movements that's what i was thinking actually i wasn't trying to hunt down any flavor i was purely thinking in musician tactics but i want to ask dad do you like this bourbon i do dad really loved this i one. figured as much i figured as much because it's dry. very petty
1: yeah this is this is dry this is woody i feel as though i want to get a whole bunch of toothpicks and just soak toothpicks in it and then carry knob creek (laughs) soaked toothpicks around in a container in my pocket this entertains me i really like this
2: i figured as much this has a very honestly kind of reminds me of dare i say bookers because of how nutty it
1: is, and I know how much you
2: love the nutty flavors. Jim Beam. Um,
1: that's the Jim Beam funk. Yeah.
2: That's the Jim Beam
0: funk. Oh. Yep. Okay. 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 Yep. Made by the same. I find it really interesting that you use that in, that analogy. That this kind of ties us in to the very beginning where we started with that Rittenhouse rye, because this was such a low rye percentage in its mash bill. However. I do agree that there is more punch here in this one than there is in any of the three, including that 1897. There is so much earth in this one, more than the 1897. The 1897 is really like there's spice involved, there's wood involved, there's a whole bunch of like, but Knob Creek 12 year I don't know how to word this right. I'm it trying so it. hard. Yeah, it takes everything and it <clears throat> assembles it in such a way that it's just this one big concentrated punch of flavor. And it is a punch. It is out there. and
1: I, I, th- I think this is well married. The, yeah. f- the flavors are across the board.
0: The balance is really good. There the...
1: isn't one that dominates other than wood. This is a very wood forward pour.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: and nutty
2: yeah
0: this I, I is really nutty. nutty yeah yeah this is really nutty and rye, as a whole are generally you know the earth is kind of the star in a lot of rye. you get the herb you get the earth it, it's all the same in a rye so this kind of does wrap all the way around i also find it really interesting that our little written house here, thirty bucks <laughs> MSRP, <laughs> and then we've got this big uh, this big guy hitting at seventy MSRP. So lowest to highest, and yet they find a way to kind of meet in the middle there.
1: From two completely different distillers. Yeah.
2: Yeah, they do have that similarity that kind of going back to my musician tactic brain. The last movement is always punchy. You notice how whenever you go to a symphony, the last movement is always fast and furious. Uh-huh.
1: And it, ties, but it still of recall
2: certain themes. It's just, it, it's another example. It, it's, a, it's a symphonic cycle. That's what we call it. It's a symphonic cycle. It's a cyclic symphony. It's really hard to do. It's stupid hard to do, but it's what... Symphonic composers aspire to do. Yeah,
0: and this one I think does take a little bit of everything that we that we've just had. I can even get fruit here, not as intense as it was in the Taylor, but there is fruit here, more of like a dried raisiny figgy, you know, something along those lines. You get the earth that comes from. The wood and the nut that's like in 1897, Alora smiling, and it's distracting me. <laughs> but but the, the, there is the punch that kind of mimics a rye in a certain way. I mean, this one's a really good one to finish on.
1: So there are lots of other hundred-proof bourbons and whiskeys out there. Some that are not bottled in bond. Cooper's Craft, hundred-proof, Four Roses, single barrel. Knob Creek 9-year, Knob Creek Straight Small Batch Rye, Old Forester 100. Hannah, you touched on yep, that a little I bit ago. I mentioned that guy. The Old Tub.
0: Another one that's said at about the knee.
1: Rebel Yell 10-year or Rebel 10-year single barrel bourbon. That's going to be a little higher priced. Booz App is putting a fair price on that, about 130 MSRP being <laughs> 70
0: <laughs> I don't know if I'd reach that high for that one, but it is a good one.
1: Remus Repeal Reserve. MSRP on that one is 90 bucks. However, Boozap App says a fair price is 215
0: Absolutely not. Don't yeah. do it, friends. Don't do it.
1: And then the Bottle and Bonds. $17.92 Bottle and Bond Bourbon. Ben Holiday out of uh, Missouri. Bottle and Bond. E.H. Uh, e. Taylor Single Barrel. That's also... Uh, hundred proof, uh, seventy bucks there. Uh, Booze App is saying one eighty on it. Cream of Kentucky Rye, seventy bucks. Early Times bottled and bond.
0: I mentioned that guy too.
1: That's a a bottom shelfer or knee shelfer. Evan Williams bottled and bond. Uh, we've mentioned that one numerous times. That's a seventeen dollar bottle and stellar. Heaven Hill bottled and bond. Henry McKenna single barrel bourbon, and then uh, probably the most expensive one on this batch here is Old Fitzgerald. Any of their bourbons,
0: they've got a couple different years.
1: Yes, a few uh,
0: different years,
1: and that might be an eleven year, a seventeen year, what have you. Fourteen year,
2: I think they yeah. got. Mm-hmm.
1: MSRP is in excess of one twenty, and Booze App is saying three twenty five. And I will tell you that we reviewed the 11-year and it was kind of meh. I'm sorry to say that, but uh, I've certainly had better bourbons, especially at the price. And then lastly, I put a nice big ribbon around this uh, Bottle and Bon Act of uh, 1897. was signed on March 3rd, and every year, March 3rd, is celebrated as bottled and bond day so mark that in your calendars set aside your favorite bottled and bond bottle and break it out on the third of march next spring
0: yep we're only five months early-ish right now we're 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 recording this on october 23rd (laughs) so we're a bit early on our bottled and bond celebration but i don't think it's really ever too early to be uh Celebrating Bottle and Bond.
1: All right, so let's move into our fortnight whiskey. I have just two stories for us tonight. First one Buffalo Trace Distillery announces. 100 Bourbon Sets for 100 Charities. It's an initiative to honor the legacy of E.H. Taylor. Here about a week ago Buffalo Trace Distillery announced a new annual charitable initiative. What they're going to do is put out bottles of their bourbons, make them available to charities to auction off to earn money for said charity. You can go to the website and see what you need to do to, to sign up. I think this is kind of cool. At its core, Taylor's support for the Bottled and Bond Act was about bettering bourbon and the category for everyone. We're proud to support nonprofit organizations, they state, and uh, they're going to be having bottles of E.H. Taylor, Blanton's, Eagle Rare, Weller, and more. The number of bottles may vary each year. Buffalo Trace is going to go to the trouble of getting them out to the charities once everybody's signed in. Entries must be received by January 4th, 2024, and the selections will be announced on the 29th of February, Leap Year Day next year. And that's going to be in honor of Bottle and Bond Day that next Sunday, March 3rd. They will coordinate with all the different states and the entities to make sure that all the laws are followed. Any questions, go to the website, Buffalo Trace, and uh, just follow The Bouncing Ball to find the 100 Bourbon Sets for 100 Charities Initiative. In my last news story, Jack Daniels introduces a new Bond rye whiskey as a permanent extension to its bonded series. So Jack Daniels, Laura knows that I'm not necessarily a Jack Daniels fan.
0: Neither of us particularly. And it's not because it's Jack Daniels it's because we're not very big on Tennessee whiskey.
1: But we may have to try this one because it is a rye and Hannah likes the rye. I've gotta know. It's now available across the US it's bottled at the 100 proof it's the first Jack Daniel's Distillery Rye with the Bottled Bond designation. According to them, uh, it's 70% rye, 18% corn, 12% malt barley. It's charcoal mellowed. In essence, that means you dump it into the charcoal, trickles through, makes it the smooth. Tennessee whiskey. Makes it a Tennessee whiskey.
0: That's the that's the hallmark.
1: Aged in new handmade uh, American oak barrels, and it delivers a unique balance profile. According
0: o- to the the, the story,
1: <laughs> notes of dried fruit followed by lingering hits of toffee.
0: According to Jack Daniel's,
1: with a rye spice finish, and it's going to be packaged in the original design of the 1895 of Jack Daniel's. Tennessee whiskey bottles. Now
0: that I'm, I'm actually pretty interested to see. That That I think will be pretty cool.
1: And then I'm noticing a trend. It's going to be bottled in 700 milliliter bottles with a suggested retail of 32 bucks. Seeing that trend, I don't know that I'm a fan of it, but I'm seeing more and more bottles are now being the 700 milliliters rather than the 750.
0: That would be for Europe. Yes. That would be for Europe.
1: So that's our show, folks.
0: I hope you find it uh, entertaining. Hope that you go out and you find your own bottled and bond, whether it's one of ours or whether it's another 100 proof that you have. Just appreciate it a little bit different, perhaps. Coming up in our season, we've still got some fun stuff planned. Um, I mentioned that Buffalo Trace Distillery Exposé. That's not going to be next episode. That'll be a couple episodes from now. Our next episode, however, we are pretty excited about. We're actually going to be doing an interview um, with Scott and Rachel Kelch. They are, well, Dad, you know them pretty well, actually. Yes.
1: They are liquor brokers here in Idaho. And we're going to talk liquor and liquor distribution. Both of them have other irons in their fires as well. Rachel runs a, a company. She calls it SIP Idaho. She brings whiskey to Idaho and has people tasting. And Scott is uh, working on a new venture where he's helping promote a distillery on the eastern side of the state.
0: And we're going to be able to sit down and have a couple of samples from that distillery. No spoilers yet. So uh, be looking forward to that. We will have another feature after all of that good stuff. Still looking to do that call-in show. Maybe sit down with a few of you guys. Course, you know, we love the history, like what we did with this episode, like what we'll probably do with the Buffalo Trace Distillery episode. We're going to do another deep dive into some whiskey history down towards the end of our season. And then just like how we finished last season, we will have a listener's pick review and we'll be putting up a poll for you guys to vote on what we review for you. And we are really excited to do that as well. We had a lot of fun doing that. I'm still very thankful that y'all let us open up the EH Taylor barrel proof that we had in the house. So thank you. And I'm really Really excited to see what you're going to let us open up this season.
1: As Laura mentioned at the top of the show, please subscribe. Give us your yeah, feedback. Yeah, yeah.
2: If you like our content, if you like our content and you've stayed the best for this Hour Plus episode <laughs> and many of our other Hour Plus episodes, yeah, subscribe. We're funny. Yes, we are. We're <laughs> hilarious.
1: <laughs> at least we think we are so as we end every show folks we ring our Glenn Cairns we give a good cheer out to everybody there thank you so much for listening in and cheers everybody